<laughs> I'm still, I'm still giggling. Um, I don't think people heard it, um, but when right at the top, when um, Will said, "Oh, how amazing it is to be led in worship by two amazing giants," uh, and um, Sam on the drum, he said, uh, "Yeah, and Connor and Matt." <laughs> Very good. Um, we're in Romans chapter six. Romans chapter six. And uh, just while you're finding that, good to see you if you're tuning in online or maybe you're watching this later on this evening or uh, later on in the week. It's really good to, to uh, be with you in that sense. And it's great to see you guys here present in the room. Um, More Than Conquerors, this little mini-series, uh, um, it actually centered around Romans chapter 8. We're going to work our way through that awesome chapter in this awesome letter that Paul writes to the church in Rome, kind of setting out. It's like, a, it's like an extended essay, his dissertation on what is the good news of Jesus Christ? Why is he so unique and what does that mean to us um, and to those we live amongst, to the world in which we live, to the, the entire cosmos? How is this utterly transformative? Uh, and so tonight, a, a sort of little precursor to that. Um, and I'm, I'm going to read the whole of chapter 6 because I, I was trying to work out where do I stop and you, you can't. <laughs> so here we go. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who've died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Well, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who's died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not... Uh, do not offer any part of yourselves to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. <laughs> Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that, the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. 
When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. And what benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. More than conquerors. I want to look at three things. Um, They're all quite big. They're quite meaty. I mean, we're right in the middle of this letter. They're they're big, meaty, doctrinal themes. I I want to look, first of all, at the importance of being able to recognize our particular spiritual slavery. The strongholds that inhibit life in us and prevent us from, from becoming more than conquerors. I want to look, secondly, at the importance of realizing just what it means to be united in Christ. That the cosmic significance of being united in Christ. Thirdly, I want to look at the importance of living daily in as under grace, not under law, as um, in theological terms, sons rather than slaves, as heirs rather than orphans, and to live in that reality. So recognizing our spiritual slavery, recognizing our unity and realizing our full, what it means to be united in Christ and living out that daily reality is the groundwork. Hopefully that sort of sets the foundation for these next few weeks in, in May as we work our way through Romans 8, aspiring to be more than conquerors in the way in which we live and work to God's praise and glory. Number one, our, sp- our particular form of spiritual Slavery. Did you notice in that reading, Paul uses this analogy of um, slavery a lot. I'll come on to that in just a moment. Uh, he, he says in verse 19, um, I'm using an example from everyday life. And how it works is this. Every single one of us are on, at a subconscious level, incredibly regular basis, more often than you realize, we ask ourselves this question deep down where we live. Am I safe? Am I safe? Is this environment okay? Am I, gonna, am I all right? Or is, is there a, a threat here where I might need to, the amygdala kicks in and uh, a reaction that I can't, it's impossible for me to override kicks in where I either prepare myself to fight or flee. And we do that, the psychologists tell us we do that about once every 15 seconds. We're constantly checking in. Am I okay? Am I safe? You, you do that with every person that you meet. Uh, particularly if it's an, a new uh, relationship. You do, you do that with every room that you walk in. When you came in here today, subconsciously, I mean, most of you saunter in, but if you're relatively new, you will have maybe been conscious of, am I going to be okay here? Is this okay? Do the people look, have I come in time? Am I wearing the right thing? Am I okay? Am I safe, essentially? Every new job, 
Every time you rent a new room in a house or, or, or look to, to buy a house or move to a new area or any fresh challenge, am I going to be okay? Am I safe? Now, in Paul's day, in Jesus' time, a lot of people, their everyday experience was that they weren't safe. You, you didn't have the caring systems and social security and, and all, all the sort of support systems that we have and are privileged to, to know about and experience and live under in um, certainly our Western world today. So many people were not safe day to day. And one of the ways in which you could secure yourself was by, um, you could literally sort of uh, bind yourself to someone who would look after you. You would, you would give yourself to serve them and they would accommodate you. And the word that, that Paul, that we have translated here, slave, is the Greek word doulos. And the English translations may be slightly unfortunate for, for the image that maybe it, it conjures up in our mind. We think of a slave, we maybe think of sort of a, you know, a dark, dank dungeon and, and chains. And we think of coercion. We think of people there against their will. But the word doulos carries much more of the inference of, um, we might say, like a sort of a maid or a domestic or a valet. Um, someone who lives and spends much of the time with us, becomes trusted and known and liked. We maybe think of the sort of royal family and all their sort of staff, for example, uh, a number of whom just sort of look after them. And they would be a much nearer idea, uh, clearer idea of, of this Greek word doulos, like a sort of... Yeah, like a, a valet or a domestic help. T typically, actually, if you, were, if you were orphaned in Jesus' day, you, you, again, there, there wouldn't have been the sort of social services or home for good or other charitable people looking out for you. So how on earth were you going to fend for yourself? And you, typically what an orphan would do would take themselves to the, or they would end up in the marketplace and a price would be paid. It was known as a ransom. You pay a ransom and buy that person out of their dependency and into a household and they become part of a household uh, they'd be a doulos and actually often the only way in which you could distinguish between the natural children of the head of the household and the doulos because they would be fed the same and often clothed the same they'd often have a really good life was that the children would always wear footwear sandals and the doulos would nearly always go barefoot it was one of the ways in which you could distinguish who was a natural son and heir and who was um, grafted in, if you like, adopted in that sense. The thing about being a doulos, the thing about binding yourself to the service of someone else, is that whilst it secures you, whilst it makes you safe, you are bound by them. You're not free. And that's, that's really the point that Paul is trying to make in this argument here that every single one of us, in order to make ourselves safe, we bind ourselves to something or someone that we think will make us safe and secure. I'll be okay. And the challenge of the gospel is this, which Paul is setting out, is, and it reaches its sort of height here in chapter six, is to whom or to what? Have, have you maybe unwittingly, maybe subconsciously bound yourself such that you, you are serving this master? You have become 
a spiritual slave. Because if it's anyone other than Jesus Christ, it will, lead to, it, will, it will crush you. It will lead to your despair and disappointment. It will not make you safe. It will make you even more insecure and lead ultimately to your death in spiritual terms. We are no longer slaves to sin, bound to any, often a good thing, that has become a God thing in opposition to God the Father through Jesus Christ himself. It will be your charisma. I, you guys, um, many of you, me, you, you're, you're amazing. You're so charismatic, uh, it, just in the general sense. People warm to you. You engage. You can make conversation. You're aware of that. And that's something you can use to, in a, a room full of strangers to your advantage to make yourself safe. And so you begin to rely on your ability to perform in that way. Maybe your intelligence, maybe your possessions or wealth, uh, maybe the, the job you have, you lean into that. Well, I do this for a living. Do you? Wow. Yeah. Suddenly the sort of kudos, you create a little, a little uh, sort of arena around you that's, I'm okay. But all of those things, as Paul says, fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. When we, when we look to trust in anything, we make a good thing, because in, in all, of those, all of those things, like personality, character, ability to make conversation, to hold down a job, wealth, and all of those things in and of themselves are good things. But when we make them a God thing, by which I mean when we look to secure ourselves in them, ultimately, we look to make ourselves safe by identifying with them, we turn a good thing into a God thing. That's idolatry. And ultimately, it will lead to our despair and disappointment and insecurity. We will recognize sooner or later they don't make us safe. How do I know if I've got a spiritual attachment, a, a kind of a form of slavery that isn't slavery to Jesus Christ? And the answer is, what happens in you when it's challenged, when it's removed or taken away? Often people get a little bit sort of, you know, a little bit peaked and then they become angry. Or they're a little bit concerned and then they become fearful. It exaggerates a sin reaction in you that is not the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. It, it's something other than that that rises up when you feel threatened because the, 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 the God, the idol, that you have been seeking your security in is being dismantled or taken away or threatened. And that's how you can tell that actually I'm not rooted in Christ and secure in him. I'm securing myself in something else. So number one, for more than conquerors, is to pay attention, uh, 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 pay attention to the particular form of spiritual slavery that I'm prone to lean into. And very often, you know, we're often the last to spot where we are um, leaning into idols. That's why 
Christian fellowship is so vital. Other people can often see through our sin reactions. They can often see what we're dependent on, who we're dependent on, that is other than Christ. That's why life group relationships, or even within that, triplets, just a, a, a commitment, two or three, to meet together on a regular basis and to speak into each other's lives. Question for, for each of us in, in those kind of friendships, who or what am I relying on that is other than Jesus to secure me? So recognize our particular spiritual slavery outside of Christ. Number two, verse five, encapsulated in that verse, to, to recognize and realize the full extent of our unity in Jesus, what it means to be in Christ. For if we've been united with him, with him in a death like his, Paul writes, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. The, the if there, this is in the, the NIV or TNIV, and a lot of other English translations have for if, and um, I can't remember which translation, one of them has since. So since we have been united with him. That's a much, I think it's, you can translate the Greek word either if or since. And since I think gives much more of a weight to the argument. If, uh, in our English language, is always quite sort of friable. You know, if it's a nice day tomorrow, we might go somewhere and do something. You know, it's always rather, well, don't know, maybe, maybe not. Whereas since is, you know, because of. For this reason, so since we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Again, that word united is elsewhere. It's, it's this idea of a branch being grafted into a main stock. Um, you know, when you, when you, when you, graft, you can increase the fruit of an apple tree by grafting in more branches other from, an, from a healthy apple tree but what you have to do is you have to sort of pare away a bit of the the the, the receiving um, stock root stock i think it's called and then you get the branch you kind of you can you slice off the bits at the end of the branch and you you kind of wedge them together and then you you get some tape or, or and you bind it around and you 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 hold it you force them together until after a few days or weeks when, when it's been fully grafted you can take the tape off and and the, the two things the stock and the branch have become one and apart from just maybe a scar around the, the, the stem of the branch, you wouldn't be able to tell fruit. It's that sense with us in Christ. We, we've grafted into him, bound into him, until it's almost indistinguishable, us and Christ. Since we have been grafted in with him in his death, we will almost certainly be grafted into his resurrection. To be more than conquerors is to recognize the, the full extent of what it is to be in Christ. To be united with him in that sense. To be united in his death. To be, to be grafted into his resurrection. Bold. I mean, this is big. The New Testament uses the phrase, in Christ, 83 times. It, it, it's clearly a, a key way of identifying who we are and how we understand ourselves. It's in Christ. 
and maybe it's a, it's, it's a bit, it's a sort of testing concept to, to fully grasp at first, but it's what we're clearly called to live in and to understand ourselves by. Supposing I, I um, wanted to do something that to my not too distant ancestors would have seemed fanciful. Supposing I, I, want, to, um, I want to get to Sydney in Australia. Well, I mean, uh, you, you, we, I don't know when it was we discovered that Sydney in Australia even existed, let alone how we get to the other side of the world. Uh, and, and then I discovered that there's a, there's a thing, um, you have to, this is an analogy that doesn't, doesn't <laughs> hold up in COVID times, but you imagine I discover there's an aeroplane that will transport me to Sydney. I think, wow. So if I want to get to Sydney, I want to actually land and arrive and be in Sydney, what have I got to do in relation to the plane? I mean, I, I could go to Heathrow and um, look at some planes and look at particularly the ones that are destined for Sydney. Go, wow, that's, that's really inspiring. Those planes are going to go to Sydney. Or I could be, you know, um, you know, I could submit myself to the ability of a plane to take off uh, and overcome the gravity through thrust and aerodynamics and, and launch us all the way around the other side of the world to Sydney. I go, wow, I submit myself to your ability to do that. I, I could go and stand under the plane. I'll say, yeah, I'm under this plane. I'm under the ability of this plane to fly. If I'm going to get to Sydney, I need to be in the plane. And then actually, it's, it, it, it's the, the wider point. The, the question then becomes not, will I get to Sydney? The real question is, is that, that question, will I get to Sydney, is wrapped up in a bigger question, which is, will the plane get to Sydney? Because as long as I'm in the plane, if the plane gets to Sydney, I'll get to Sydney. So you see, it's because sometimes we think, oh, it's all down to me, and have I, will I be a good Christian? That's a secondary question. Are you in Christ? Did Christ die? It's a little check. Yeah, thank you. There it is. It's a little it's rhetorical, Connor, but you can join in. It's all right. <laughs> but the, the question, little checklist was, did, do I believe, even go back, do I believe Jesus lived? Do I believe he died? Do I believe he rose again? New Testament calls me to be in Christ. I, I have to work all this up. I don't have to understand how God raised him from the dead. I just need to believe, like, like I believe that plane will get to Sydney, so I just have to get in the plane. Then if a plane goes to Sydney, I'm going to Sydney too. If I'm in Christ and I'm united with him, joined, grafted with him in his death and in his resurrection, if that happened to Jesus and if I'm in Jesus, then I begin to live that reality too. I put to death my old self. That's why the symbol of baptism, particularly adult baptism, little segue here, if you, you're part of us, you've come to be in Christ and, and you've not yet been baptized, or maybe you were baptized a little wriggly infant, you, you can't remember a thing and you want to renew your baptismal vows, come and, come and shout, I'd love to get the pool out again. Um, we're, I, we're just, hey, those are just, those are just fantastic Sundays, really graphic because we'll, we'll take candidates and we'll drown you. Boof! And water everywhere, splash, it's visceral, it's great. But it's, it's signifying this, that you're, to be in Christ means you die with him and then there'll be two of us on hand to bring you up again. I'm still alive. <laughs> Washed, cleansed, 
and, 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 and alive with the, the very resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead. That same power by his spirit is in me. Wow. In Christ. God through Christ for you. We sometimes say, um, oh, I, 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 need, I want to be, I wish I was a bit closer to God. I understand the question, but the question really is, well, are you in Christ? Because just read your New Testament and you will see that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So if you were in Christ, where are you? <laughs> is it possible to get any closer to God? <laughs> the question is, how, how will I remind, which is coming to my third point, but how will I constantly remind myself that I am in Christ? I may feel I've wandered away, but the reality of your status is, as you died and were raised, you are in Christ. Where he is, you are. Here's a challenge for all of us in seeking to be more than conquerors. is to give up what C.S. Lewis in his magisterial treatise, Mere Christianity, defines as our petty ambitions. I remember hearing that John Cleese, Monty Python and uh, sort of various films and so on, he, he said that basically the, the, the main ambition of most, he was talking about English people, so forgive the, although it's, it's a story against it, the English, but he said the main ambition of most English people is to try and get through life without being embarrassed. <laughs> Which, you know, maybe resonates, that's part of why we laugh, maybe it sort of resonates with them, but what, what a, Frankly, what a, what a kind of petty ambition. What a small vision. What a small goal. Not to risk a few mistakes in order to try to expand, to, to, to live out your vision. I wonder whether many of us in this room, when we came to Christ, when we began to live in Christ, even maybe now, our ambition is far too small. Given that Paul says that we are grafted into the Christ who died and was raised and sits at the right hand of the Father. And we, we kind of hope we're going to be a little bit nicer. Maybe give up swearing, drink a little bit less. Just, just know a little bit more peace, kind of get through life. Listen to, to what C.S. Lewis says. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. And at first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting on the drains. Uh, he's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. And you knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, marking out courtyards. You thought that you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. And he intends to come and live in it himself. Number one, recognize your particular form of spiritual slavery. Number two, 
realize the full extent of cosmic union with Jesus Christ. Give up our smallness, our petty ambitions in order to be more than conquerors. You see, I'd be tempted to go, well, hey, I'm a conqueror. Tick. Paul, in the end of Romans 8, we should be more than conquerors. That's the ambition in Christ. Finally, thirdly, to live out our daily status in Christ. Paul puts it like this in, in Romans 8. I don't mean to nick whoever's sermon this, this might be, but uh, in Romans 8, 17, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Think about that. Heirs of God. Standing to inherit everything that God has. Co-heirs with Christ. Wow, I, as I, even as I just say those words, I think my, my, my thinking gets so shrunk down, so bombarded by the minutiae, the day-to-day, so that my mind and my soul expands the reality of who I am in Christ. Here's the thing about the, the doulos, the, the person who was part of the household but was not um, uh, a direct descendant, not bloodline, but, but kind of grafted or adopted into the household. Here's, here's the thing that impacts the lives every single day of every single member of the household. One day, the head of the household will die. And on that day, the son will inherit everything and the doulos will inherit nothing. That's how it worked in Jesus' day. Just to think that one through, it is not dependent on anything that they do. You could have a son who is a complete toe rag, disrespectful as a father and of the household, like, like the son that Jesus tells the story of in Luke 15, squanders everything, total disrespect. It doesn't matter. You can be an awful son. You can be a terrible son. You're still a son. You inherit when the father dies. You could be an amazing doulos. You'd be so loyal, so faithful, so servant-hearted. The whole of your life doesn't matter. When the head of the household dies, you inherit nothing. And here's the thing. That reality is ever-present every single day of the son's life and of the doulos's life. The inheritance is not on what you do. It's on who you are. And that's why Paul talks about grace. The sheer gift of God to you and I who have received this gift by faith is that we go from being doulos to son, from orphan to heir. From slave to child. No inheritance with all the insecurity implicit in that. Doesn't matter how hard I've worked, doesn't matter how faithful I've been. There will come a day in the middle of my faithfulness, in the middle of all my effort, in the middle of all my hard work, there will come a day when it will amount to nothing. And God in Christ has taken us out of that 
worrying context into the security, the significance, the ultimate safety of sonship. The challenge to you and I is to live out of the reality of our status, to live as sons and daughters. The other day, um, a friend of our son's came round. He's, he's, we've known him a long time, he's a lovely lad. Uh, and he's been, um, he comes around to our place quite a lot. Um, and uh, Luke, our son, has just moved out. And, um, and so he came around, he knew Luke wasn't there, he was coming to pick up something. And he knocked on the door and he said, oh, hello, Mr. Store, Mrs. Store. Can, can I come in? Do you want me to wear a mask? Shall I take my shoes off? <laughs> I mean, kind of, it's like his second home, really. Yeah, come on, William, come on in, come on in. But he's still, you know, deferential. As I say, our son Luke has, has he moved out about um, six weeks ago now. He's got a flat with a couple of mates on the ones of the road towards, um, towards Vauxhall. Um, so, but he came around the other day, first time he's sort of been back. <laughs> it rings on the bell because he hasn't got a key anymore. And we open the door, hey, love, he just just breezes in, it's got, it's got a rucksack, it literally just, it just, it just goes on the floor in the middle of the hall as he keeps on walking, right, into the kitchen, straight to the fridge. <laughs> but I should say that uh, Luke has got an unbelievable appetite for milk, he will just chug gallons upon gallons of milk, opens the fridge, we, we, we had a, there's, you know those four pint bottles of milk, about two thirds full, cap off, chuck, chug, 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 we just say, all right, love, make yourself a home. Just, just an everyday, Paul uses an everyday example, I'll use an everyday example. What's the difference? Willem isn't, he doesn't, his friend, sorry, name check, but he doesn't belong to Arthur, he's a guest, he's sort of, you know, whereas Luke is our son, who, by the way, is so well behaved and gorgeous and lovely, I mean, it's just, you know, he just, he just makes himself at home. That sort of sense of entitlement. It's just, you know, not, does anyone else want any milk left while I just finish it? No. And actually, in a, in a, you know, we love him for it. Actually, I, 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 that's how we should live. Kind of. I mean, this is a risky one for you. Don't misinterpret this. But I just think there's a godly entitlement that we should have as sons and daughters. There's an expectation when we walk into the workplace or when we email or text or when we communicate. We're communicating as children of the King. We are in Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. And, and he has already died, therefore, on our behalf. So we, we, we begin to live in the inheritance now. It's time to possess our possessions as as sons and daughters of the king, and to live out of that status. The thing is, guess who doesn't want you to know who you are? The enemy would love to convince you that you've failed again, you've sinned again. You, 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 who do you think you are? You think you're in Christ? Look at what you're doing. Look at what you're up to. Look. That's why we need daily, daily to remind ourselves of who we are. We need to, as it were, get into that plane with an intent to fly every single day. Not look and say, oh, how nice for some special people who can fly to Sydney. No, in Christ, we can get on the plane and fly. So every day we get in the plane, we strap in. I belong here. And we live our lives accordingly.
more than conquerors. That's, by the way, this is how we, so when temptation comes, because temptation will come, and the more you determine to live like Christ, the more the enemy will pick, look to pick you out. He'll look to tempt you away from living in him. And you just need to remind the enemy of your identity in Christ. You point him to the cross. <laughs> you show him his defeat. He, he has been defeated, and one day he will be destroyed. If he tempts you to, sh- to, to show you your past, you, you point him to his future in Christ. love the story, just briefly, of... Um, oh, very quickly, St. Augustine. Uh, and he was really troubled. It, it, before he came to Christ, uh, wonderfully, uh, and, and uh, that inspired him to, to sort of magisterial treaties on the, on, the, on the nature and impact of sin, because he'd lived a sinful life, and particularly... Uh, sexually, he'd, he'd slept around with all sorts of mysteries. He loved it. He writes about it in his confessions. I loved it. I loved it. It was fantastic. But it didn't ultimately satisfy. It didn't ultimately secure him. But he was, as a, a new Christian, he's walking down the road, and one of his former lovers uh, sees him and goes, Augustine. And he sort, of, he sort of shuffles on. And she goes, Augustine. And he kind of shuffles on. And she thinks that Augustine doesn't recognize her. And so she goes, Augustine, it is I. And Augustine says, yes, I know who you are, but I am not who you think I am. It is not I. She says, it is I. And he says, yes, but it is not I. I am a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. I am in Christ. And when we live, into, live in, daily remind ourselves of that status and that identity, we have Christ's risen power within us to conquer temptation and defeat sin. It's a battle. It isn't easy. We will stumble and fall this side of glory when we are perfected. But we have everything we need in Christ to withstand the power of temptation and to live as more than conquerors. Let's stand together. I'd love to invite the band back. Just a moment. Well, let's use our bodies as we stand here. Now, if you're at home, if you can do this, you know, you, we sort of stand, you've been sitting. Let, let's really unfurl. It's just, you know, it's almost like a stretch. Your spine, your shoulders, your neck, head. Like we believe as we believe that I am a child of the King. And the Spirit beginning to show me and convict me of those ways in which I can conform to spiritual slavery, where I seek security in the human realm, and I determine freshly I'm going to... No, I cut that off. I'm not walking that way. I'm not leaning into that. I am in Christ. And I join Him in His death and in His resurrection by his Holy Spirit now filling me. I walk with confidence, determination, conviction into a new life, a renewed life that enables me to be more than conqueror. Temptations will come and say, oh, it is I. And I can say, no, (laughs) this is not I anymore. I am a new creation. No more in condemnation. Not under law, under grace. Receive that truth now.
Refresh yourself in that truth now and tomorrow morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning and in Jesus' name, amen.